Welcome to the Friends of Folklore, where two sisters tell tales from the briny depths of the ocean, the darkest caves hidden in misty mountains, and even mysteries hiding in your own backyard. Fear not, dear audience. Come inside, bundle up with a blanket, a cup of tea, and your favorite fuzzy animal, and you too can become a friend of folklore. the tallest of the sisters. And I'm Abby, the smallest of the sisters. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fabulous. I've been um, running between different hardware stores for the last couple of days because my husband is going to build some desks for us. That's adorable. Which is like probably the most romantic thing that anyone's ever done for me. Honestly, such high standards. Like I need everything built for me. I'm very short. Like... No, I need accommodations no. made. That's adorable. <laughs> well, it's like a double gonna... desk situation, right? So you guys can work together yeah. and it'll be all cute and romantic and shit. Like in harmony. Yeah, so we're going to have my desk, his desk, and then a like third desk that's kind of like T-shaped in the middle. So there's like a ton of workspace. I'm very excited because I'm currently working on this like two by two like basically a side table that's pretending to be a desk type situation and it's not working. I understand that completely. I, I am recording at a kitchen table. Y'all's. So, I guess Slay. That. <laughs> oh my gosh, do we have any like updates? Oh, so hey guys, um, please, 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 please send us your stories because we really want to tell them and Spooky Tuesday will soon be upon us. I know, it'll be upon us once more. For, and I think in the Plumping. last episode, I was like, for the month of July. And then under your breath, you went August. And I just totally ignored your ass. <laughs> so it's for the month of I'm August. I'm used to it. Um, I'm used to it. You know what that makes me think of? I, whenever I say I'm used to it, I'm usually like complaining about being a middle child. And um, I was thinking about that friend of yours who I think is a listener. And they, you know, like contacted you and were like, oh, I love the podcast. Your sister's so funny. Is she a Gemini? And I'm just like, no, I'm just a middle child. <laughs> she a Gemini? <laughs> no, they're the absolute no. sweetest human being on the planet. And she was like, um, Gemini? And I was like, nope, middle child. Um, yeah. Same diff. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Honestly, though. I'm an Aries. Very true. I don't know what that means. It, Usually that means I'm going to punch people in the face. Low-key But I've never done that. No, you're not, you're not much of a I'm fighter. very nice. You are. You're mm. good people. I'm a big fan. Um, I'm a big fan of you too. That's why we, we do this. just hit 600 listens. So yes, go team! Yeah, we have like go team. 30 listeners, and we About. love all of you, and we love every single one of you so very much. Yes. Um, yes. no, and we're just if all of you could leave a review. No, excuse me. Honestly, no, like, please. <laughs> honestly, but please that at the end of the day, like if I'm being completely honest, I have no idea what that, like. I think the reviews make us show up more. That's what I've been told. But I'm that's what I understand. Yeah, rating and reviewing helps boost us. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I was kidding, but if you would like to like leave a review on looking? Apple Podcast, that would actually help us a lot. That'd be um, great. We would love you for it, and we love you anyway, either way. So, Fabulous. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. What are we talking about today? Today we are going to talk about the Cottingley fairies. Oogie, I love me a good fairy. Oogie. I love me a good fairy, too. Um, let me pull up my notes, because I was like, oh, let me just start talking. I do that um, every time. So... I'm like, oh, God, the, the Google document, where is it? <laughs> where did it go? 
So um, I feel like I should preface this by saying that I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. So I, I hope this episode is not like a billion hours long. Um, but I I read a novel about this, and I'll actually talk a little bit a bit about the novel um, towards the end. I read this novel in like 2017, and it was what by one of my favorite authors, and it the story just kind of always stuck with me. And I was actually on Pinterest, and I found this picture of this illustration of a fairy that used to be on mine and Abby's bedroom wall mm-hmm. when we were babies. Like when we were little, little, little yeah. kids. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I like I hadn't even, you ever like see something that was so intrinsic to who you were at one time, but you haven't thought about it in like a literal, like <laughs> decade and a half. Literal 18 years. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, oh fuck. Okay. And so I, I started like falling down this rabbit hole, looking at all these different pictures by this like same illustrator and I came across um, the Cottingley Fairies, and we're going to get to it, but this is a story about five very famous photographs and how they, like, swept the world. Oh, I'm so here for it. Let's go. All right, let's rock and roll. So, the year, I have many, many sources. I'm just, Should I read the sources first? I mean, I haven't in the last, like, four episodes, but yeah. I've had them. I just I'll read them later. <laughs> I'll just read them like real quick at the end, like a like a advertisement for a prescription drug. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> side effects may include dying, and you're like, wait, what? What? Why is my depression medicine? If you have ever depression. considered anyway. even being pregnant, yeah, um, if you've anyway. even thought about it, if you've ever been in the vicinity, I'm sorry, of a pregnant woman. Yeah. Um, so the year is 1917. Um, nine-year-old Francis Griffiths. And- I'm sorry. <laughs> What movie? 1917? No! Ian, so so we were, um, shout out, because um, she's a listener, a cup, right before everything hit, um, we went out to a movie night with our friends Kirk and Caitlin, and Caitlin and I went to see Jumanji 2, and Kirk and Ian went to see 1917, because I did not want to be sad forever. You know, I th- I want to say that you made the right decision. I do, because I love me some Jumanji. I have I not seen Jumanji 2, Jumanji. but I was a big fan of the you reboot. Know. Um, and I, I know it was bad, but... <laughs> it was, but it was, so was the first one. I mean, it wasn't bad. Danny DeVito's in it. That I mean, stirs the pot was, for anyone. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan. No, and I, I was not going into 1917 with any expectations, but it's shot in <laughs> one continuous shot. Like it, well, it's no not, way. but it's shot as if it's But it like, looks that way. Mm-hmm. And it's beautifully done. <gasps> it's stunning. And I know like a bunch of a really, I, I know when the score happens because Ian told me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll listen to the score. Um, I'm literally two words in. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> I just, you said 1917. I was like, man, that was a good film. Anyway, so it's 1917. What's happening in that year besides this film? Um, so nine-year-old Frances Griffiths and her mother left their home in Cape Town, South Africa to stay with family in a village called Cottingley, located in West Yorkshire. So the thing about the names of British places is you say them not at all like they're spelled. And I know enough to say Yorkshire, mm-hmm. but there's a couple of other places, so I'm just going to say them like an American. Fabulous. <laughs> Westchester. West, West, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Westchester. No, that's right. <laughs> Wooster. <laughs> we say Wooster in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. Okay. Wooster. Ready. Um, so Frances's father was off fighting in the war. Um, and her mother so her and her mother's stay in Cottingley was at the time indefinite. Mm-hmm. Um they had no idea when they were gonna be moving back home, if ever. So um Frances was to share a room with her cousin, sixteen year old Elsie Wright. So if you look at these three pictures all on this page. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you see a picture of them together. This is the woman on the left, young woman, she's like 16, is Elsie. And then the little girl on the right is Frances. The next photo is Frances, and the one below it is Elsie. A couple, both those are a couple of years later. Okay. Um, despite their age difference, they were pretty fast friends. And they would spend a lot of their time down at the Beck. Look at the next picture. Oh, it's like a, a fancy is stream. Like a, it's like a fancy stream. I was about to say that. Yeah, for, for us uh, non-British listeners, that it's basically a stream. Or do they call um, it If you creeps? look actually... Anyway. They call it Becks. Oh. Pay attention. Look at the next photo. Here's a more modern um, photo of the exact same Beck. Oh, wow. Okay. The first one was in 1921. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if this is like the same exact spot, but same body of water. Mm-hmm. So the Beck was located at the bottom of the garden. So they would kind of just, you know, every single day, they'd just go out and play at the Beck. Um, this was much to the annoyance of their parents as they would often return home soaking wet and like covered in mud and their clothes would be all ruined and their shoes would be disgusting. And um, Their parents had forbidden them several times to go down and play at the Beck, but the cousins argued that the reason they were spending so much time there was that they had found fairies. That's adorable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so naturally their parents didn't believe them. Um, so Elsie, the older cousin, decided that she was going to prove it. Elsie's father, Arthur, was something of an amateur photographer. Um, He had even had a dark room set up in their house. Elsie herself, according to one account, was also very good with photography, and um, she may have even worked as a sort of, like, assistant for a photographer in town. I wasn't able to find confirmation on that, but I have heard that in a couple of... For mood reason, that's exactly what her job was. Yeah, perfect. This is a dramatization. Dramatization. You're not here for facts. (laughs) So one day, Elsie and Francis borrowed the camera and returned half an hour later with one of the most famous photographs in folklore history. So before you look at it, it. yes, before you look at it, um, there are five photos overall, and beneath each one, I've included a, a description from a book called "Fairies: The Cottingley Photographs and Their Sequel" by Edward Gardner, published in 1945. Um, Edward Gardner is going to be really important later. Um, and I got these descriptions from the Museum of Hoaxes at hoaxes.com. Love it, love it. Where, is, where is Hoaxes Museum? I don't know. It was a website, and uh, they had all kinds of... It's called the Museum of Hoaxes, and they have just, like, all of these really um, thorough articles about, like, you know... Oh, are you asking... Were you making a joke? No. I'm <laughs> stupid. I thought you were saying it like it was a town, like H-O-A-K-E-S. No, like hoaxes, like... H O A X E S. Yes, my I know because I'm stupid. Go on. You're not stupid. You're perfect. <laughs> shut your shut your stupid mouth. You're shut not your stupid. stupid mouth. You're not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, scroll to the next photo, please. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Holy crap! That yeah. You've never seen these before. I'm made of questions. Okay, so I'm just gonna read the little excerpt. So this is the photo number one. It's called Francis and the Fairies, taken July 1917. Quote, the negative was a little overexposed. The waterfall and rocks are about 20 feet distance behind Francis, who is standing in shallow water inside the bank of the beck. The coloring of the fairies was described by the girls as shades of green, lavender, and mauve, most marked in the wings and fading to almost pure white in the limbs and drapery. Would you like to describe what you're looking at? So, I mean... I love this photo because it's it's very, very sweet. She has a flower crown and it kind of looks like she's leaning on like a tree root or some sort of, you know, like chunk of tree, like a, like, um, mm-hmm. 
a stump that's covered in moss. The thing that bugs me is that these fairies look real animated. <laughs> like, it's just the definition, like, where, how her skin ends. I know that this is going to sound interesting, but, like, it doesn't match how their skin ends. So, to yeah, me, it, really it looks sense. really weird, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a one couple, has a there's flute. four fairies. One has a flute, and there's four fairies dancing around in front of Francis, um, who is leaning on this thing. Two months later, they borrowed the camera again and took a second photograph. This time with Elsie, the older cousin, as a subject. Go ahead and scroll down. Okay. Slide. Our mother's gonna not let you <laughs> in the house. That's all I gotta say. I know she's not. She's oh wow! Me. This. Yeah. This one's crazy. <laughs> wow. This, okay. I'm just, sorry, do your description. I'll follow the panel. All right, so I'm going to read this. This is photo number two. It's called Elsie and the Gnome. Um, by the way, these photos have a lot of different names, and I'm going to name all of them, but they're all pretty, like, it's pretty clear which ones they're similar. referring to. Okay. Um, so, taken September 1917, quote, Elsie was playing with a gnome and begging it to come up onto her knee. The no leapt up just as Francis, who had the camera, snapped the shutter. He is described as wearing black tights and a reddish jersey and a pointed bright red cap. Elsie said there was no perceptible weight, though when on the bare hand, the feeling is like a little breath. The wings were more moth-like than the fairies and of a soft, neutral tint. Elsie explained that what seemed to be markings on his wings are simply his pipes, which he was swinging in his grotesque little left hand. So, do you want to describe what you're looking at? Well, okay, so that makes sense. The thing that bothers me about this one is that everything's the same texture. Now, I don't know if that means yeah, that see, it's not like the last one, doll or something like that. But it has, yeah, it has its own little, I guess, what is it, uh, an instrument in its hands, mm-hmm. and it's taking a step up. But it's and it's matching pretty well, and it doesn't look like she's holding it up in any way, shape, or form. It is in the foreground, and her knees in the background, but. It doesn't look like it's propped up against her leg. It looks like it's its own individual little man. Um, little oh, what's that movie that you like that drives me nuts? I don't know. I have a lot of those. I know. Mirror Mask. Oh, it yeah. It looks like I get some vibes. sort of paper creature from Mirror Mask. That's what this makes I me love think that of. movie. You don't like that movie? No. I'm going to tell Neil what you said. He and I are Facebook friends. Who? We're not. Oh, Neil. Neil came in. <laughs> told me, came to Neely Boy what I said. He liked my Facebook status once. How many um, years ago? Um, honestly. So, so look at the gnome's stomach. Do you see how it kind of has a belly button? I can't tell if that's a belly button or like a gradation in the film, but yes, I see like a little dot. Just remember the dot. Okay, I'll It'll remember be the later. aforementioned belly button. All right, I'm ready. I want to see another one. All right, so... Elsie's father, Arthur, developed both of these photographs himself and at once suspected mischief, but had absolutely no explanation. Um, He refused to allow the girls to borrow his camera again due to these suspicions. His wife and Elsie's mother, um, Polly, on the other hand, believed the photos to be genuine. In fact, in 1919, Polly took both the photographs to a meeting of the Theosophical Society. So the Theosophical Society is, quote, a group dedicated to exploring unexplained phenomena and, a quote within a quote, forming the nucleus of a universal brotherhood of humanity, end quote, end quote. Um, so basically these were just like occultists. I'm here for it, though. Yeah, so like the, the talk that she was um, 
attending was about, quote, fairy life. Okay. So Polly showed these two photos to the speaker afterwards, and everyone got so excited that the photos were later later displayed at the Society's annual conference um, and therefore introduced to the world. Absolutely. So it was at this conference that the photographs caught the attention of one Edward Gardner, who was a member of the society. That's, this is the same man who wrote these descriptions that I'm reading um, on each photograph. So Gardner sent the photographs along with the original plates to a photography expert named Harold Snelling. Mm-hmm. Harold was tasked with checking to see if the photographs were genuine. Um, he was able to determine with certainty that the photographs themselves had not been tampered with. He stated that they were, quote, genuinely unflaked photographs of single exposure, open-air work, show movement in all the fairy figures, and there is no trace whatever of studio work involving card or paper models, dark backgrounds, painted figures, etc. He was very careful, however, not to say that the photographs were fairies, only that, quote, these are straightforward photographs of whatever was in front of the camera at the time, end quote. It was around this time... That, go ahead next to the next photo. Fabulous. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Conan? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of one, a Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you heard, you've heard tell. No, his his estate is super pissed right now. I know because of the the um, Millie Bobby Brown thing, right? Yeah, because they're like, Sherlock is not a compassionate human being. Please cut it out. And I was like, they are not happy about that movie. But okay, they were fine with Benny Batch getting up on a stage and being like, I love you, I, Watson. TBH. I'm nothing without you. I never finished But it. okay. <laughs> I never did either. After uh, spoilers. It just took anyway. like eight years for four episodes to come out. And I was like, I don't have time to commit to this. So I just snapped. Yeah, I'm, 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 I've been hurt before. I've been hurt before. Um, so Sir Arthur Conan Doyle took an interest in the cousins and their peculiar photographs. So you may not know this, um, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a spiritualist, which basically means that he believed in paranormal things and in things like fairies. Um, Around this time, spiritualism was sweeping the world. During and after World War II, the British people were grieving their losses and understandably, I meant World War I, I'm sorry, um, and understandably needed something beyond what seemed possible to believe in. Psychics, seances, fortune tellers, all of these things are running rampant with massive support from believers like Conan Doyle, as well as massive skepticism from people like Harry Houdini, who spent a lot of time trying to debunk them. Harry Houdini, actually, there's a there's a wonderful, and that's why we drink episode about this. Harry Houdini had like an undercover secret society of people who would go to these psychics and fortune tellers and try to like debunk them, debunk them, which I think is amazing. Um, Ironically, they were great friends, (laughs) Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini. So Rosa Lister stated in her 2017 course article on the subject, quote, the fairy photographs seem to resonate with many people who are eager to believe in the existence of a better world and in the possibility that we might be able to communicate with it. Basically, end quote, uh, basically people saw these photographs as, ed- as evidence that there were other worlds and we might be able to connect to them, which would have been very comforting for anyone who a, lost a war written someone or yeah. yeah, many someones in this horrible war that took out an entire generation of young men. Um, it should also be noted that Arthur Conan Doyle lost his own son to the war. 
Um, he also came from a family that had something of a fascination with fairies. Does that seem familiar, Abby? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit? Maybe a little bit? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> so, one time, um, I'm going to tell that story on All you. All right, fine. I'm just going to stone back, take a drink of water. Yeah, take a sip. You're going to have to edit out later because you're a loud drinker. Um, <laughs> one time we were at um, our mom's friend's house and Abby was little and I was less little, but like I was big enough that I didn't want to play fairies, but small enough that I really still wanted Abby to play with me. So I was being a bully, which is usually where that, you know, equidis, like that's where that balances out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I'm gonna step on your fairy hill. And she was like, you crushed my fairy friend. And I still haven't forgiven myself for crushing your fairy friend. So you know, I'm sorry. Honestly, I remember because the friend had a, a beautiful little, just like a natural hill in her backyard. Oh, yeah. Tiny little thing. And that was my fairy hill. And I hung out there, like spent whole days All in that garden. All the time. Yeah. Um, it was a gorgeous garden. garden. And yeah, that was my fairy hill. And one time Sydney was bothering me and I wanted to be alone with my fairies. Like, hashtag A&D conversation, see your way out of it. And <laughs> so I said that. <laughs> it's quite, honestly, like, our poor mother. I'm I sure, know. like, between that and the fact that I would make potions and stick them in the back of the I closet. Know. So, friends, and then you stain the, potions, the carpet. <laughs> the potions would have everything backyard sticks leaves mostly shampoo and conditioner it's fair to say that my mother glitter. lost a lot of shampoo and conditioner those years glitter Food coloring tabasco mud. yeah mud who knows oh, what was in those bad tabasco. boys tabasco they reeked and they would sit in the they back of mine in sydney's closet and then eventually i'd just take one out and destroy it and that carpet was never seen again <laughs> oh it was never the same never the same so i really all I'm saying is that yeah. I, I relate to a fairy-enjoyed family. I get it. Well, so yes, and, and Arthur Conan Doyle had a fairy, a fairy friend, frantic family. Um, his uncle Richard, for example, was famous for his fairy illustrations. If you want to look at the next picture, you I might actually recognize these. I am already there, and I definitely recognize these. I don't yeah, know so this is from... Well, it's from Richard Doyle's um, In Fairyland, a series of pictures from the elf world, published in 1875. <laughs> I went down such a rabbit hole. I got this picture from, like, the University of North Carolina's, like, archives. <laughs> like, library archives. I was, I, I didn't, I, I was bad. Um, I didn't sleep. So, moving on. Anyway, so Arthur Conan Doyle had actually been asked by the Strand magazine to write an article on fairies that year. Um, and decided to make these cousins and their fairies his subjects. So in June of 1920, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle contacted Elsie's father to ask permission to use the two first photographs in his article. Um, Elsie's father, who, if you recall, was a total skeptic, was very impressed by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's interest and immediately agreed. Um, so to protect the girls' identities, the photographs, these first two photographs we've already seen, were published under the titles Alice and the Fairies and Iris and the Gnome. Alice being Francis and Iris being Elsie. Mm -hmm. um, the rights are referred to as the Carpenters. Okay. So if you hear these names, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Gardner worked together to get a second and third opinion on the authenticity of the photographs by sending them to Kodak and another photography company called Ilford. 
Um, while Kodak agreed that the photographs themselves showed no signs of tampering, they refused to sign a certificate of authenticity. Some people claim, though, that this was a show of bias because the company, one of the company's technicians stated, quote, after all, as fairies couldn't be true, the photographs must be fake somehow, end quote. I got a video for you, man. You know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Shit. Um, want to see a shaky cam so, video? Well, Bigfoot, come here, buddy. <laughs> like, fuck yeah, you. come over. <laughs> come listen to our podcast. Come on over. Um, so Ilford, on the other hand, concluded that there was un... I cannot say this word. Unequivocal, I said Unequivocal. It. Unequivocal evidence that the photographs were faked. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has this habit of not being discouraged no matter what, and interpreted these results as two in favor and one against authenticity, even though all three were like, technically, this is a real photograph. <laughs> <laughs> My expertise like, is a photograph. This is a <laughs> photograph. Me too, bud. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. My expertise also allows me to determine that this is also a photograph. I can I can guarantee you with my expertise that this is in fact a photograph. Um, the photographs were also shown to Sir Oliver Lodge, who is a physicist and a physical researcher. He was adamant that the photos were staged, believing it to be a trick of perspective. Um, he felt that the fairies were like a troop of dancers in the foreground and that Alice or slash Francis was way further back. Um, and he felt that the, that the dancers had posed for the photographs and even noted their, quote, distinctly Parisian hairstyles. <laughs> so basically he was saying they were too fashionable <laughs> to be real. They're too cool to hang out with you nerds. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's actually kind of like a, a theme that people are like, these fairies are way too fashionable. They're forward. too fancy for you. <laughs> and you're like, okay, can I look at the next one? Photo? Almost. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. So... Um, in July of 1920, Gardner was sent to meet Elsie and Francis at their home in Cottingley. By this time, Francis and her family had moved north. Um, her father had returned from the war, and they had moved north to Scarborough, I am sure. Scarborough? Scarborough. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. That's fine. We don't live there. So sorry. Scarborough. Scarborough. Yeah, you guys always, like, they always, like, skip. skip. It's like Scarborough. So he's like, they just <laughs> they like skip, skip letters. I don't know what letters, but they skip them. <laughs> I'm definitely convinced um, did of that. You see, did you see that that Tumblr post that was like, my dad went to France and his name is Hugh and no one knew how to pronounce his name because all of those letters are silent. His whole name was silent. <laughs> Language is great. French is Latin and cursive. Continue. Oh, it really is. Okay, so um, Frances had, and her family had moved north, but she was invited to stay with the Wrights in Cottingley for the summer holiday. Um, during this visit, remember this is like three years later, mm-hmm. during this visit, Gardner gifted the two girls with W. Butcher and Sons cameo folding plate cameras. Um, he also gave them 24 secretly marked photographic plates to ensure that they couldn't be swapped. In that same book I've been quoting, Fairies, a Book of Real Fairies, in 1945, Gardner wrote, quote, I went off to Cottingley again, taking the two cameras and plates from London, and met the family and explained to the two girls the simple workings of the cameras, giving one to each one each to keep. The cameras were loaded, and my final advice was that they need to go up to the Glen only on the fine days, as they had been accustomed to do before, and, quote, tice the fairies, as they called their way of attracting them, and see what they could get. I suggested only the most obvious and easy precautions about lighting and distance, for I knew it was essential that they should feel free and unhampered and have no burden of responsibility. If nothing came of it all, I told them they were not to mind it a bit. End quote. 
So the girls often insisted that the weather had to be good for the fairies to show up. And rather conveniently, um, they wouldn't appear in front of anyone but the two of them. So one day in mid-August, when Elsie's mother had gone to visit her sister for tea, the two girls were left alone. And that afternoon, they took three more photographs. Go ahead and scroll the next one. Fabulous. Love it, love it, love it. I feel like this is the same position that one of them is in in the first photograph, but all chill. It's not quite, but I... Don't worry. Um, So this photograph was taken in August of 1920. Um, Quote, again, the gardener quotes, um, quote, the fairy is leaping up from the leaves below and hovering for a moment. It had done so three or four times, rising a little higher than before. Frances thought it would touch her face and involuntarily tossed her head back. The fairy's light covering appears to be close-fitting. The wings were lavender in color, end quote. So you can kind of see that Frances is moving Mm -hmm. in this photograph. And I think the idea is that the fairy was moving at her and she's like kind of moving back, you know, yeah. darting back a little bit. Um, go ahead to the next photo. Okay. Um, so this is fairy offering a posy to Elsie taken August, 1920 quote, the fairy is standing almost still poised on the bush leaves. The wings were shot with yellow. An interesting point is shown in this photograph. Elsie is not looking directly at the sprite. The reason seems to be that the human eye is disconcerting. If the fairy be actively moving, it does not matter much. But if motionless and aware of being gazed at, then the nature spirit will usually withdraw and apparently vanish. With fairy lovers, the habit of looking at first and a little sideways is common. So I think the argument he's making is that she's not looking, she's kind of looking at the fairy like in her peripheral. Mm-hmm. Out of the corner of her eye. Not to She's looking her past her. The thing that bothers exactly. me about this video is you can see the bush mm-hmm. through the fairy's wing. You can see the bush through the fairy's wing. So you see Spooky. the gradient is darker and then it follows through in that curve and that bothers me on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and then one more photo. Okay. This photo is called Fairies and Their Sun Bath, taken August 1920. Quote, this is especially remarkable as it contains a feature quite unknown to the girls. The sheath or cocoon appearing in the middle of the grasses had not been seen by them before and they had no idea what it was. The fairy observers of Scotland and the New Forest, however, were familiar with it and described it as a magnetic bath woven very quickly by the fairies and used after dull weather in the autumn especially. The interior seems to be magnetized in some manner that stimulates and pleases. End quote. <clears throat> I have no fucking idea what that means. I think he's talking about the weird, like, cocoony looking thing in the middle structure in the middle. But this one, look, it's the same thing. You can see you right can through see their through wings. Them and the, so they're like tucked in the grass. And there's kind mm-hmm. of a overlapping of grass in the middle. And that's where this draped blanket sort of looking thing is. And then there's a fairy on either side. But you can see through their hair. You can see through them in their entirety. And it's just freaking cool. <laughs> that's, it's beautiful. It's stunning. Isn't it cool? We gotta um, get you another lid for that hydro flask, dear lord. I know, I'm just like clank, 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 don't mind me. Yeah, we are. We're, 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 where is it called? What is I it called? I think it's Visco or something. Visco? Or Visco. I, I would totally I'm, just wear biking shorts and big t-shirts. I'm fine That is that. what I am wearing right now. And Crocs. You know, my friend Craig is not listening because he's, you know, not listening. But he convinced me not to wear my lime green Crocs to our college graduation. And I regret it. I, I should have done what I wanted. You should have a chat with Greg. Mm-hmm. He knows his chat's coming. My orange, <laughs> uh, my orange Crocs, because this is what New Mexico desert is like, they shrunk because I left them in my car one time. Yep. 
That sounds shrunk. about right. Like, <laughs> are they still like in the right like? They're the same shape, form? but they're like two sizes oh. smaller. That's hilarious. Yeah, mine are small too. I think maybe that happened to me too. I always leave things in what my the fuck Crocs. What the fuck Crocs? Be desert friendly. Um, okay. Um, so Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's article on fairies came out in the in December of 1920. It was a Christmas issue. And it featured the first two photos and was met with very mixed results. Um, Maurice Hewlett, a historical novelist, published his conclusion of these photographs in John O. London's Weekly, where he stated, quote, And knowing children and knowing that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has legs, I decide that the Miss Carpenters have pulled one of them. End quote. <laughs> oh, that's the best Odin, quote. Odin, it's okay. Sydney's dog is very upset because Sydney's husband is not home. Or he's yeah, probably he's coming into the garage right now and your dog's like, sir, I do not have Freaking this on out. lockdown. Like, get in here. This is not stable. <laughs> she won't let me he's in. He's like, you fool! This is the end times! Um, yeah, so the Miss Carpenters, that's what they called the rights in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of things, novelist Henry Devere Steckpool stated, quote, Look at Alice's face. Look at Iris's face. There is an extraordinary thing called truth, which has 10 million faces and forms. It is God's currency, and the cleverest coiner or forger can't imitate it. End quote. So, like, I know, isn't that nice? So people were either like, this is real, or they were like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, there was no in-between. It Mm -hmm. was a dividing issue. Um, Despite the public's mixed response... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was not discouraged. I'm sure we're all shocked. (laughs) He went on to publish a second article in The Strand in 1921, where he published the final three photographs. Um, In 1922, he wrote a book book called The Coming of the Fairies, all based on the five photographs. The three later photographs were met with the same skepticism as the first two. Many people claimed that they looked a little too like illustrations from fairy tale books and that they all had very fashionable hairstyles. (laughs) Gardner visited the cousins one final time in August of 1921, bringing more cameras and more plates for them to take photos with. He also brought along a self-proclaimed clairvoyant named Jeffrey Hodson. So by this time, the girls are respectively 20 years old and 13 years old and are pretty much over this whole fairy thing Mm -hmm. Um, and claimed that there were no fairies to be seen. They're like, sorry, don't see anything. Sorry, got nothing. Um, they also strongly disliked Hodson. Like, they hated him. The guy who was, like, the self-proclaimed, um, clairvoyant, because he was walking around their yard being like, I see them! They're everywhere! The fairies! And they were like, okay. Just leave. (laughs) Just leave. We all have that one neighbor. Um, I get it. Yeah, right. Well, so they later admitted (laughs) that they messed with him during the entire visit, and they thought he was a total fake. Like, they were like, fuck this guy, so... Some people say the reason <clears throat> that the fairies didn't actually show up was because, like, this guy was a weirdo. Mm-hmm. After 19, 1921, the interest in fairies faded. The cousins grew up. They both got married and moved away, um, both living abroad for many years. In 1966, Elsie was 65 years old and was interviewed on the subject of the Cottingley Fairies by the Daily Express. Um, during this interview, Elsie alleged that the fairies were likely a figment of her and Francis's collective imagination, but they must have found some way to project that imagination into the photographs. Interesting. So, yeah, so a very interesting change of perspective. Like, mm-hmm. there were no fairies, but our imaginations were so amazing that 
the fairy showed up in the photographs that we were like imagining. It's almost like a loss of innocence, which is like, no, it, yeah. we must have just made it up. And it's just like, no, we just, mm-hmm. we must have just been kids. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just very interesting, like pivot from the original tale. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1978, James Randi pointed out that the fairies in the photographs looked very similar to the illustrations in a popular children's book called Princess Mary's Gift Book, published in 1914. Um, go ahead and scroll the next photo. Okay. Oh, so wow. here you see, yeah, so here you see an illustration from this book, and there's actually a side-by-side of, from the first Each photograph fairy, yeah. with, yeah, and you can see, like, it's pretty undeniable. Uh, especially that first one. The first one is in the exact same position. The second, like, so the first one has one hand by her hip, one hand in the air is on one foot, mm-hmm. and that's the exact same position. The other two are slightly different. The second one... Slightly different, but vi- but too similar. So similar. To, yeah, too similar to, to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in, 18, in 1983, the cousins confessed. Um, oh, don't confess. I know. <laughs> don't confess. They... They claimed that they both absolutely saw real fairies, um, but the photographs themselves were faked. So this kind of goes back to, like, I think it's our second episode about the Loch Ness Monster and how there was that one guy who was like, I absolutely believe in the Loch Ness Monster, and that is why I won't allow these fake photographs and this fake evidence to stand because it discredits yeah. This is kind of, I think, an example of that. Like, they, they say that they fully believed that there were fairies, um, and they saw them, but they couldn't get proof, so they invented proof. And that's, like, a problem. No, and I mean, that happens time. It happened in the Bigfoot story, too, where that guy's like, yeah. no, I definitely saw him. I killed him, but I was afraid he'd be stolen, so I made a rubber one. It's like, it's like maybe you're full of shit, or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. you really needed proof so your parents would stop grounding you for getting soaking wet at the back. Yeah. So Elsie admitted that she had she had some artistic ability and she had copied the illustrations from that very same children's book and just added wings to the dancing women. They then cut them out and secured them to cardboard and then stuck them into the ground using hat pins. So that quote belly button on the gnome is actually a hat pin sticking oh, out of his belly. I see. And that matters because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um believed that that belly button was evidence that fairies give birth in a, like a mammalian? Oh no! Like mammals. oh no! Yeah, oh, no. like oh, he was no. like, oh no! He was like, they give birth just like humans. Yeah, he like totally went down a rabbit hole because of the hat pin. Oh no! <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so the hat pins were to make them stand up on their own. Like you said, the gnome was not leaning against her. It was standing up independently oh, because of the hat pin. Damn, you had pins. Um, I know. So once they were done, the cutouts were thrown into the beck where they were washed downstream, never to be seen again. Both of the cousins admitted to the hoax, but they disagree on one point. Francis swears that, swore rather, that the fifth and final photograph was genuine, while Elsie swore that it was also a fake. Um, in one interview in the 1980s, Francis stated the following, quote, it was a wet Saturday afternoon, and we were just mooching about with our cameras, and Elsie had nothing prepared. I saw these fairies building up in the grasses and just aimed the camera and took a photograph, end quote. What's especially interesting about this is that both cousins swear that they themselves were the ones who took the photograph. But there may be an explanation. 
So you remember how the fairies are especially transparent in that photo? Mm -hmm. There is an explanation put forth by a man named Jeffrey Crawley, who is the editor of the British Journal of Photography. Um, And he said, quote, that the photograph was an unintended double exposure of fairy cutouts in the grass. And thus both ladies can be quite sincere in believing that each took it. You know, so basically, yeah, there's a, I, I can see where this could be a double exposure. It's in the far right yeah. of the photo and the face is flipped see. on the other side of the grass. So if you go to the far right, there's a face. And then if you see it's flipped. Yeah. <gasps> I do see that it's flipped. Oh, but this is the one I like the most. And then there's I one know, also so flipped cool. on the ground. If you look underneath the, if, um, oh, did I forget to read flower? Tent? No, I did read it. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. There's a face just in the around. weird bath. So, yeah, I see that. So if that. it's double there's exposed. faces all over this one. Uh, yeah, there's faces all over it. So I believe that it's double exposed. Oh, but that's the one I like the most. Also, I know, where do so you get cool. such good art skills? Hashtag teach me. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, if you don't know what double exposure is, basically it means that the cousins probably took a separate photograph on the same plate. Basically, two photographs on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of ghost photography is actually achieved this way. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a picture with a person in it, and then the person goes away, and then you take the picture again yeah, on you the force same, the plate on top of into, it. Yeah, or yeah, when you have like the the shaky ones, the um, the mm-hmm. outcast ones. <laughs> Polaroid. Thank you. <laughs> you're my favorite. You, you're person. <laughs> you're a real one if you know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, so <laughs> like if you force it to stay in, you can take two photos with this on the two same on top thing. of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um. You know, back then, it was like a glass plate that you were taking photographs on. And it was like an actual chemical reaction inside of the camera, which is super cool. Um, Okay. So, in 1985, Elsie said that the cousins were too embarrassed to admit to the prank once Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got involved. As I Um, would be as well. Yeah. Can you imagine if, like, like Stephen King just, like, rolled up and you you got cool stuff and you're like, oh, no. I'm a liar. Yeah, Stephen King comes into your life and starts writing articles about you and, like, giving you free cameras, which were not cheap back then. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I would have totally... Like, they were just kids. And the author of Sherlock fucking Holmes shows up and totally believes it. I wouldn't want to come clean because I'd make a huge fool out of him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, So, in an article... I I already quoted this article once. um, In an article from Quartz titled the Cottingley fairy hoax of 1917 is a case study in how smart people lose control of the truth. The author Rosa Lister stated, quote, the story of the Cottingley fairies has always fascinated me, not because of the particulars of the case, but because of what it reveals about the life cycle of a lie. In contrast to other hoaxes, famous hoaxes, it doesn't seem malicious or even necessarily deliberate. Instead, it seems to me to be a story about how a single, relatively small act of deception can lead a large group of people to lose control over the truth. To me, the strangest part of the story is not that two girls pretended they knew some fairies, but rather that adults wanted so badly for their encounters to be true. Not just Gardner and Doyle, whose reputations by that point were at least partially at stake. Lots of people were ready to believe. They twisted and massaged the narrative to add credibility. End quote. Yeah. So, like, in a way, these girls are kind of the victims here. I mean... Like, How many times did you and I be like, we saw this ghost? Like, what if we decide to act on it? No, it's so innocent. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's truly a desperate call for something beyond the hell that you're currently living in. 
oh yeah, you know, you just lost your, you know, every young man that you ever knew. Yeah. And several other people besides, because this is also around the time that, like, Scarlet Fever is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, things are fucking awful in the world in 1917 to 1920, whatever. Um, actually, I don't know if you've watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Bits. Bits? So her mother, the main character's mother, um, goes to a psychic constantly and I didn't think anything of this. I was just like, oh, what a quirky woman. But when you think about it, she was a young woman in the 20s. Because this takes place in the 50s. So it makes perfect sense that she was like, this is what you did. You were like, I lost everybody. I want to go talk to, you know. And actually, Harry Houdini, um, the reason he was such a skeptic was because he went to see one of these psychics so he could speak to his departed mother. Mm-hmm. Because he missed her so much. And he realized it was bullshit. Well, and because he was so they have, heartbroken. They had a code. And he said, they had a code. if you get to the other side, say this to the psychic or somebody, and it'll get to me, and nobody could mm-hmm. ever replicate it. And that just, oh, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And so, it's, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, it's, but it was a way to deal, you know? It was a way to cope. cope. Yeah, like, oh, maybe I can still talk to my brother. Maybe I can still talk to my fiancé who died oh, three days before God. our fucking wedding. You know, it's yeah. just a thing. Everyone, yeah. So, so, um, moving on. Francis and Elsie died in um, 1986 and 1988, respectively, okay. only a couple of years after confessing to the hoax. Oh. Um, in 2009, Francis's daughter, Christine Lynch, said that she believed that the fifth photo was genuine, just as her mother had. Um, that same year, Francis's memoirs, titled Reflections on the Cottingley Fairies, was published. Um, there are some bits and pieces of correspondence between the cousins in the memoir. Many of them are somewhat bitter expressing regret over the photographs and fearing the repercussions if anyone were ever to discover the truth. So in 2019, the original photographs were sold at auction for only 50,000 pounds, which is only about $63,000 USD. Yeah, considering what other auction shit goes for, that's not a lot. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Um, And most surprisingly, the original negative of the most famous photo, um, Francis and the Fairies, the very first one, didn't sell. Can I buy it? Yeah, isn't that weird? (laughs) I so mean, I don't got anything did, close to sixty-three thousand pounds. Yeah, I know. I'm not gonna. Yeah, but like twelve dollars. But holy crap! Yeah, that, that's a little heartbreaking to me. I don't know why. I know. I'm that kinda just like, kind of hurts me a little yeah. bit. Where you're. I mean, when we did like the believing in fairies, it was truly just to have something out of this world. Yeah, you want to believe that the world is magical, and I mean, I can understand. That completely, like, you know, especially right now, we're in a very similar situation. I mean, we haven't just got out of a world war, but, you know, the pandemic and all over fucking mm-hmm. crazy shit yeah, going I on. I agree. And it's like, yeah, I could totally understand people clinging to something like this right now, even though it's obviously faked. You take one look at it, and it's like, that's not. Yeah. You, your first comment, it looks animated. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so. Um, but despite the lack of sales at auction, this story continues to fascinate the public. I'm not going to post this on um, our social media because I don't have permission to. If you want to look for it, um, this is a recreation. Go ahead and scroll down. Mm-hmm. A recreation by Instagram user Just As Strange As I Am. Um, she posted this on April 11th, 2016. So if you want to go. Oh, that's so beautiful. Isn't that cute? So yeah, oh, she, she basically them. is dressed like an old timey dress. She's holding a flower and there's a couple of fairies just like pinned into the grass. Um, And I'm just going to read the caption to this photo. Um, Quote, 
This is a little experiment. The girls behind the Cottingly fairy photos used fairies that they had cut out of books and pinned to the ground. I thought I'd give it a go. I think it looks quite nice. I've left the paper fairies in the garden to confuse the neighbors. And I need this human in my life. That's adorable as shit. She's, she's adorable. And she has, um, her entire Instagram is like fairy cosplay. I love that. And like, I think she makes and sells some of this stuff. Like oh, really gorgeous, yeah. like realistic fairy wings. Really cool. Solid Instagram. Just as strange as I am, all one word, obviously, and no extra mm-hmm. anythings, all lowercase. That's on Instagram. Um, yeah, feel free to go to their page and find it. Um, in 2016, Hazel Gaynor published a novel called The Cottingly Secret, and that's how I got into this Oh yeah, is that the story that I have in my apartment mm-hmm. that I stole from you? My bad. And that you still have, I actually literally have in my notes. Um, it tells a story from Frances' point of view. Um, here's my note. Abby has had my copy for years, and the fact that she didn't know this story is evidence that my poor copy has gone unread. <laughs> it's sitting on my bookshelf, and then my bitch yeah, I like, want it back. Reading this same book for the eighth time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, rereading Harry Potter. I'm rereading um, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. I love that book. Yeah. That is a wonderful well, I read that book every year. That is a fantastic book. Don't watch the next um, Continue. Don't. It's bad. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's good about that is it's pretty and the casting is all right, but everything else sucks. Um, okay, so I have one last thing for you. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, we got to get it going. So the museum, the Museum of Hoaxes website um, has user-submitted haikus on the subject of the Cottingly Fairies. <laughs> and I'm just going to read a few. <laughs> Definitely. So, and if you don't know a haiku, it's 575 syllables. Um, that's pretty much the only, I think, rules. I mean, it's probably way more complicated than that, but that's what you need to know. That's how I learned so in this... grade English. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so here's a haiku submitted by A.B. Camera ready. Two young girls patiently wait. Fairy paparazzi. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to leave. <laughs> I have two more. Oh, God. <laughs> this one is, uh, submitted by Sharuma. Holmes writer thought that Cottingly fairs were real. They misspelled fairies. He is no Sherlock. Like, guys, I wish you could see Abby's face right now. <laughs> like, I write poetry, and sometimes I'm like, why do people make fun of poets? And this is why. This is why they make fun of us. Okay, so last one. This one is submitted by Fuzzfoot. Gullibility. Eye-openers were common. Were fairies drunk, too? Who said anything about being drunk? <laughs> You just kind of like I feel like some of your like own just stuff. like throwing shade on these poor people. Y'all drunk as shit. Like maybe it was the twenties. Yeah, maybe like you would be too. Prohibition was a thing still, right? No, yeah, well, how could you be? Oh, maybe it's. I feel like that's his own personal problems just sprinkled in, but I'm not gonna say anything. Just peppering in some personal problems, some projection. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that is the story of the Cottingly Fairies. I loved every single second of that. That was adorable as fuck. Oh, I'm so glad. So I, I'm sorry. This is we're at almost an hour before you edit, so I'm sorry if this is a bitch to edit. But I, I literally didn't. And my I face hurts from smiling. I, I love this. This was a great story. I'm so glad. I didn't know anything <laughs> so about glad. this until and like I even opened yeah. up the Google document and I was like, eh, I didn't like did not read it. Like I had no idea what was going on. And I love this. I love I love every single bit about fairies. That's just something Aww. very deeply rooted in my childhood. And I just love this. So cute. Well, I think it's 
Go ahead. Sorry. No. I, I think it's a really... <laughs> we're so I think it's a really... We're so good at this. I think it's a really um, interesting show of how a modern fable is created. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes from a need for the mystical. It comes from... What are you doing? Just kill the bug. Go on. I'm trying to get deep here. Sorry. Hashtag deep. Get hashtag okay. Okay. So I feel like this story is um, a really good show of how, like, a modern fable is created. You know, it comes from a place of, like, needing this kind of mysticism, this kind of mystery. It comes from a place of needing to maybe believe that something beyond what you already understand, what you're already going through is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really fascinating and really interesting and I feel really bad for these two women who literally for the majority of their lives had to like keep this secret because of some like bullshit prank they pulled when they were kids because they wanted to play in the stream together that's really sweet and that's yeah that's my whole thing where can they find us you can find us by searching friends of folklore or the friends of folklore on instagram facebook twitter um, you'll find us if you want to send us an email. We need those spooky Tuesday stories. I need to be please, included. Please, please. Um, <laughs> as if I'm not like the make, one of the makers of this. Anyway, um, email us at <laughs> the friends of folklore at gmail.com. Um, put spooky Tuesday in the subject line so we can organize it. And thank um, you. Please. For, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, if you haven't yet, please rate and review. Um, it really review, does help subscribe. us out a ton. Um, every single time we, uh, we get a new listener, I like send a screenshot to Sydney. She does. <laughs> We're very so, excited about it. And like we've been um, just loving all the attention we've been getting, and we really do appreciate you guys. We do, and I just yeah. If uh, we're working on getting a website. We're probably going to do Patreon here soon. Maybe a Patreon if people are interested. Um, Monique has been making a lot of beautiful artwork, and I'd love to be able to kind of get that out there to our people. Yeah, amongst other things, like fun extra videos, because Sydney has a job, but I like low-key don't right now. I mean, I do. I'm still allowed in. So, so, you know, we want to create some, you know, if you guys have any content ideas you want to see, but we really appreciate you guys being a friend of folklore and I am starving. So I'm going to go heat up some Chinese food and we will talk to you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.